We need to know our enemy. I was reading a book and it was talking about how most churches today, many churches today, really are not in the spiritual battle. That the churches today are focused so much on the physical, the, the hills, the, the streams, the trees, but it has lost focus that there is an additional sphere, a, a, an additional reality. There is this physical world, but there is a, at the same time, in the same place, there is a spiritual world. There is the devil. He is real. He hates you and wants to destroy everything about you. So we need to know our enemy so that we can put a stop to His plans in your life. So last week we talked about the enemy as the accuser. If you missed that, you can go back to the page, Facebook page, it's there. You can go to our YouTube page, it's there. Today we're going to talk about the liar. How our enemy is a liar. And what I want to do is I want to show you a couple of scriptures in the Bible about how God feels about lying. Look at this. This is Proverbs 6. The, there are six these six things the Lord hates. Everybody say hate. hate. The Lord hates them. Okay, hear me. The Lord hates them. doesn't say He hates the person. He hates these six things. And yes, seven are an abomination. An abomination is a very strong word. Look at this. A proud look. The proud, right? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. What's interesting is that the Lord is making a short list of things that He can't stand, and two of them are lying. You guys see the same thing that I see? I mean, he, there's a whole Bible full of sin. He could have made, uh, 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 He could have said, okay, I got lying up there already, let's do something else at number six. But God can't stand lying so much that in the seven things He hates, He puts it twice. I put the Scripture there so you can fact check me. Anytime you want, I don't put things up here that aren't, aren't where you can find them. Proverbs 19, 8 and 9, it says, A false witness will not go unpunished. He who speaks lies will not escape. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. In other words, you lie, your lies will seek you out. The moment you tell a lie, you then have to begin to create more lies to support the lie you already told until you spread and, and make such a web of lies that you catch yourself in it. You may get away with your lie for a day. You may get away with your life, lie for, for a month, for a year. You may even go ten years. At some point, you, that lie will catch up. Because God's Word says it will. My dad told me one of the biggest lessons of my life. He says, Daniel, don't you ever lie. Don't you ever lie. No matter what the cost is, you don't lie. So I was that kid in school when the teacher would walk in and say, who did this? He did that. She did that. He did this. I did this. I was the one I was getting spanking too. I was getting spanked with everybody. I did this and everybody else is guilty too. I mean, because I really took that to heart. The thing is, the moment you tell a lie, the moment you deceive, the moment that you twist the truth, it destroys your character. It destroys your character. Henry Blackaby says character is four parts. What you do when no one is looking. What you, can be, what, what you stand for when everyone's watching. Who you desire to be. And the fourth part is what you can be trusted with. If you can't be trusted with truth, then what can you be trusted with? The moment you lie, you trash every bit of your integrity. It's gone. And you know how hard it is to get it back? 
Because now every time you say something, they have to go around and check to make sure it checks out. Every single time. I tell this to my kids. The worst punishment in my house is if you lie. The worst. Because then every time they say something, I want to believe them. But now I don't know if I can. And so then I have to go back and I have to check it all out. And it takes all this kind of time just to see if somebody's telling the truth. And if you've ever been a liar and you do that, how embarrassing and frustrating it is when you're actually telling the truth. They can't believe you then either. Guys, lying. This is all part of the devil's plan in Romans Romans chapter 1, that's a whole chapter somebody needs to read, everybody needs to read, but it does say this, it says, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Listen to this, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then he goes on, there's multiple times, but I, I highlighted this. I want to show that everyone in this room has done that before. Oh, got your attention? Every one of us at some point in our lives have exchanged truth of God for a lie. If you're willing to tell the truth today, right? Let's test it. <clears throat> How many of you have believed at some point, anywhere up to, your, up to this point in your life, that you weren't good enough? Raise your hand. Keep it up. Okay, so half of you. Guys, we're not supposed to be lying. Keep your hands up. All right, so now, how many of you in addition would feel like you have, you're a failure? Deep down inside, you don't want anybody to know it, but deep down inside, you're a failure, right? That's what you believed. That your sin was so much that you couldn't be forgiven. <clears throat> that you're not loved and you have no place of belonging. Okay? I could go on and go on. You guys see how I could keep going on? <coughs> Lie straight from hell. I'm going to show you scriptures that defeat every one of those, but I want you to believe that every one of us at some point in our life has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. See, what I'm wanting you to understand is that not only is, the God, is God wanting to speak to you, <clears throat> He wants to speak to you, but also the devil wants to speak to you. A lot of times people will say, <clears throat> they'll say, Daniel, you know, I, I, I heard something from the Lord, and I said, are you sure that it's from the Lord? Because the Bible says, test the spirits, right? You got to test. I got to make sure that, that this is from God and not from the devil because the devil, he likes to make things sound pretty good too. How many people get into a relationship and they think it's God's will and then all of a sudden it looks more like the devil than it does of God? So I'm wanting you to understand is that that he's out lying to you. The devil's job is to lie. He's, he's out there to lie and to twist and to try to change things. And what God is doing is he's always going to speak truth. God will always speak truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So, <clears throat> your enemy, he's a liar. His goal is to convince you. His goal is to convince you to believe that his lie is the truth. Thank you. I was waiting for you to... I was like, yes, I need that. <clears throat> Got a tickle in my throat or something. <clears throat> that ain't Jesus. Hang up. All right, so... <laughs> or actually, answer it and say, I'm in church. My pastor told me to answer it. This is where you're supposed to be. So, <clears throat> convince you to believe that the truth... So this is what the devil's doing. He's lying to you, and what his goal is, is to convince you that his lie about you is the truth. And we've fallen for it over and over and over again. The moment you believe the lie and forsake the truth, you become a prisoner to the lie. How many of us have lived years of our lives believing that we weren't good enough? How many of us have lived years of our lives believing that we were a failure, that we were an accident, that we were a mistake, a lie from hell? So we're going to learn today through God's Word how to put a stop to that in our life. That's why I, just, I know God's got something big planned for somebody and multiple somebodies. 
This is a passage that we're going to always say every week because we've got to remember who our enemy is. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, okay? The lion, he targets their prey. A lion does not go out after the strongest wildebeest. He goes after the oldest, the youngest, the weakest, the sickest. And the ones who isolate themselves. You know who the easiest person for a lion to attack is the one who gets offended and quits going to church. Now they're all by themselves. They've already isolated themselves. They're away from the herd. They're away from the family. They're away from the flock. They're the easiest targets. Nine times out of ten, it's because they got offended about something that was probably not as big of a something as they made it out to be. He will lie in the grass where you can't even hardly see Him and He's patient. He's waiting for you to reveal your weakness. When you look at your marriage, He's waiting to look for the weakness in the marriage. Your character, if He can find an, a chink in your armor, He's waiting for the right opportunity. The Bible also says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master over it. What I want you to see is this. The devil is sitting outside your house, as outside of your work. He's sitting in the bushes, in the tall grass, and his greatest desire is to get you to fall into sin. He's lusts. The devil lusts after watching your weakness. He, he lusts for your fall. We talk about lust and passions and, and all these types of things. The devil, devil's greatest obsession and desire is to get you to fall. Get you to fall into that sin. So today, we're going to be in the book of John. I'm going to have to set the context up. It's going to take me about a chapter to do that, but since this is a second service and we don't have time restrictions, hope you brought your sack lunch. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I'm going to give you a lot of big details. I put the Scriptures up there because I want you to go back and look at it yourself. I want you to see this. But in, in John chapter 7, it actually gives us the setting of what it's going to get. We're going to get into 8. 8 is where we're really going to live today, the very end of 8. But i got to get you there. And Jesus is now in Galilee. And He's staying in Galilee because people in Galilee like Him. The, the guys, the religious people in Judea and Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests of the church, the tabernacle, they hated Him and wanted to kill Him. So they want Him dead. And he can't go there right now. But here's the problem. Now the Feast of Tabernacles is upon them. Jesus wants to go, but he, he waits until it's about halfway over, and then he goes. And you know what? Jesus can't go to a place and not teach because he's a teacher, right? Jesus just can't show up and hide in the background and just watch the feast. He, he gets there, and he's, he goes in secretly, and then all of a sudden, what do you do? You find Jesus teaching in the, tab, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the temple courts. So the people were amazed by his teaching. Every time Jesus taught, the people were like, oh my goodness, he teaches like no one else. Then the religious leaders, they hate it, and so they are angry. They can't stand him. So here's what happens in verse 20, and all the way through chapter 8, all the way through chapter 8, verse 12 and on, um, all the way up to 30 actually, 20 to 30, 8.30, Jesus is attacked. He's teaching, so he's, he's teaching in the temple courts, and all of a sudden some of the religious leaders, you're demon-possessed, name-calling right off the bat. Jesus then replies to them, judge not by appearance, but judge correctly. It's because you don't like me, don't call me a name. Then a little bit later, the people are like, wow, he teaches so amazing. He is a prophet. He is the Messiah. Then that made the religious people mad again. And then he says, you don't even know who your father is. They did not like that because he's calling them illegitimate children. In chapter 8, they think they have him. This is all around the same time. It's, it's, it hasn't changed to a new, new feast yet. He's 
put into an impossible situation. The Jews finally got him. Because Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the Word of God, not to abolish it. Right? That's in Matthew chapter 5. He tells them, I didn't come to abolish it, I come to fulfill it. They caught a woman in adultery, so they had to know that it was happening. They caught her, dragged her out in the street, and says, you know what the, the Word says that you're going to have to fulfill here today? It says that if a woman is caught in adultery, she is stoned to death in, front of, in the streets, in front of everybody. The Jews are sitting there going, great, we got him! Because now he has to either kill her or go against the Word of God. That's what they're, they're like, this is perfect. It couldn't, be, it couldn't be any better. Jesus was actually stooped down and he was drawing in the sand when they actually showed up. And they brought him this situation. They said, hey, here's a woman caught in adultery. According to the law, we've got a stoner. What do you want to do, Jesus? It's all on you. All eyes are on you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Takes his time and he continues to draw in the sand, never looking up. Can you... Just, I would love to have been there. Like, I know what Barbara would already be doing. Barbara would have a bag of popcorn going, like, this is amazing. I can't wait to see how Jesus does this, right? Because Jesus is totally going to, and he does. He never loses this. So he, he doesn't even, and it says he doesn't even look up. He still stooped down. And he says, well, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. Doesn't look up. Doesn't do nothing. Just keeps drawing in the sand. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees and all these religious leaders are like, okay, well, he's not going to throw the first stone. He's not going against the Word of God. Either one of us is going to have to pick a stone and say that we're perfect, or we're going to have to walk away. And the moment that every one of them walked away, they just proved that they weren't righteous. So not only did Jesus stand true to the Word of God, He made them look like a bunch of sinners like they were. He's not, he's not, Jesus is not making the situation with the religious leaders any better. Every time they do something, He says something again. Then He's talking and He says, I am the light of the world. And then they attacked. No testimony is worth anything if you testify yourself. And then He looks at them and He says, you're going to die in your sin. He does not back down. And so it made me think about something. You know, we live in this world right now of progressive movement. This progressive Christianity is not Christianity, but what it is is it's, it's, it's trying to change who Jesus is. Okay? In the progressive movement, the people that are preaching Jesus in this progressive movement are making Jesus soft and all focused on only grace and mercy. Jesus is full of grace and mercy, but that's not all that He's full of. But they, they, they treat Him as that's all He does. He's only got grace. He only has mercy. He only has forgiveness. They don't talk about His wrath. They don't talk about the truth. Because if you actually talk about the truth, it's going to tell them to stop sinning, right? So the thing is, I want to sin. And here's the thing is, Jesus is this, all, the, all He does is love, and He never stands for anything. He, he's just a pushover. He's timid. He's weak. And even I even saw a sermon that was preached by a homosexual, and he actually said that Jesus was gay. But that, is, that was what, and I, I mean, I, I listened to the sermon because I want to know what's being preached in this progressive movement because the progressive movement right now is one of the fastest growing movements in America right now. And I'm saying this not to, to attack. I'm just saying this is what's being preached. And I'm like, what Bible are they reading? Because it sure isn't the real one. Because here's the deal. Do you not remember in John chapter 2 where Jesus throws tables over? So what happened to the table-turning warrior? That's Barbara's favorite Jesus. He is, he is, as he is being faced, as he is being faced and persecuted by these religious leaders, he is strong and courageous and doesn't back down. Not only that, but every time I see him, I, I don't see... Uh, a, a feminine Jesus, I see, I see Christ, our Messiah. And here's what I actually began to think about. I was like, really, it depends on how you approach Jesus is which Jesus you get to meet. 
If you've ever noticed that when the lepers came to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me and heal me. And what is what they meet the healer, right? In their humility and their submission to the Messiah, they're on their knees begging for what? Mercy. And what do they meet? The merciful Christ. And on the other hand, you have these Pharisees who come to him in pride and self-righteousness and condemning spirits. And they meet warrior Jesus. So really, depending on how you want to approach Jesus is which Jesus you actually get to come face to face with. Isn't that amazing? So that all brings us to John chapter 8, verse 31. Okay? In John chapter 8, so all of these, this is an ongoing conversation Jesus is teaching, and His teaching keeps getting interrupted by these these religious leaders that don't like Him, and they're coming along trying to catch Him uh, and trying to disprove Him. They can't. They keep looking like fools the whole time. The whole time. And so here's what happens. is He then turns to the Jews who had believed Him, and Jesus said, so I want you to take this setting. You have, we're going to pretend that you guys are the Pharisees. Boo! I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're like, man, I'm never sitting on this side of the church again. You guys are the religious mean leaders. You guys are the ones trying to kill Jesus. And then on this side over here, these are the guys who really believe in Jesus. They love Jesus and they're listening to Him. So in the same conversation, and they're all, it's a mixed crowd, Jesus turns His attention to those who have believed in Him and He says to them, if you hold to My teaching, you really are My disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? Come on. Woo! <laughs> All right. Now, so, to the Jews who believed, the word believed in Greek is pistio, and it means to credit one or place confidence in. So basically, they had placed their confidence in Christ. That means that they have placed their trust in Christ. Everybody following me, right? So he's talking to those who have placed their trust in him. Christians, believers, true believers. Perfect tense means past action with abiding results. In other words, the abiding results means something's going to happen perfectly in the future for them. They have, in the past, placed their confidence in Christ and the abiding results is that faith changes their whole life all the way leading to heaven. That's why perfect tense is so perfect. I love perfect tense. It's not used often. Active voice, it means the Jews chose to believe, not forced. It's free will. Nobody has to believe in Jesus. You have the choice. Participle in mood is a verbal adjective. It means that this is how they were known for being believers. In other words, you will be known for what you believe. Because if you really believe what you say you believe is really real, right? It's going to change your whole life. If you really believe that Jesus is who He says He is, you really believe in heaven, and you really believe in hell, and you really believe there's a judgment day, and you really believe that those who are die without Christ go to hell, it will change how you talk to people. It'll change everything about your life. So the question is, do you really believe what you say you believe is really real, right? That's the question. And so he's saying is, people who really believe, their life shows it. Shows in their conversations. Shows how they do business. It shows in their whole life. Shows in their home. It shows in their neighborhood. It shows in every part. So, he then says, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper now. If you hold, this is a conditional statement. A condition is always, this, it's a promise. If you do something, then something's going to happen. If, then. If, then. It's conditional. So what he's saying is, if you hold, if you, and the King James says it this way, if you continue in my word, the word hold or continue, either one you want to go with, NIV or King James, because everybody gets in a battle of those, right? I use both of them on purpose just so that I can rile everybody up a little bit. If you're a King James only, whether you like the word continue or you're an niv -er, and you like the word hold, it really doesn't matter because both of those have to still go back to the original Greek that they both use, which means abide. 
They're both wrong. I'm just kidding. They're not. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that what they're trying to, the, the original Greek word sinuates abiding or living. What Jesus is trying to say, whether you like holding or continuing, is you need to live out my word. If you will live this out, then you really are my disciple. And I'm putting the word then in. I'm, I, I, I highlighted it on purpose there because I, I added it in there to, to show you what it's implying. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples is how it reads. The word then is implied. But here's the word disciple is methetes in Greek. It means a pupil or a student. What God is calling each and every one of us is to be a student of Him. A student follows the ways of their teacher. He's saying, if you will live out my teachings, you then really are my student. That's exactly what he's saying. So let me give you an example. Do all things and, uh, without complaining. Why did I have to go there, right? Some of you are like, man, I wish you would rather use the tithing example. You know, like, like right now, I don't want you to do all things without complaining. So if I am going to hold to his teaching, then I'm going to do my very best as Jesus' disciple, as a student, to do all things without complaining. Oh, and it also says do all things without complaining and arguing. My girls, did all my girls hear that? Alicia and Alina, did you guys hear that? Do all things without arguing? Arguing, arguing. Okay, do all things without arguing. Okay, so... Do all things without complaining. Do all things without arguing. So if I am his student, I'm doing my best to follow those instructions. Does that make sense? And that's just one example of a million, right? All through the Word, right? So what he's saying is, listen, if you will do what the Bible says, then first, here's the promise, you will be my disciple. You, it's not you might be, it's you will be. You really are my disciple. If you will do what the Bible says, then you really are a disciple. Come on, right? If you will do it, you really are. How cool is that? I mean, that should be like our heart's desire is to be a disciple of Christ. Right? That's the mission. That's the, did you know that the church only has one mission? Only one mission. The mission is to make disciples. So then everyone that's in a church your biggest heart should be, I want to be a disciple. And Jesus is right now saying, if you will do the word, you will live it out, you'll do what it says, you really are my disciple. Like that, just like that. That's the condition. If you'll do it, then you are. Woo, right? Okay, then he goes on, and he's not done. So then you will know, so not only will you be his disciple, but now here's the second part of the promise. Then you'll know the truth. You will know the truth. So knowing is in Greek, genosko, it means to understand or perceive. So if you're living out the Word of God, you're understanding it. Do you understand, does everybody understand what it means to not complain? Does everybody understand the word complain? Right? right? We all understand the word complain. When it says do not complain, you understand what that means, right? So here's the deal. When I'm doing it, I'm understanding what I'm doing. So you will know the truth. You'll understand it. The, truth, the word for truth is aletheia, and it means an objective See, a lot of people are in the world that we live in today. And guys, this is a progressive movement. It's all through the world. Truth is subjective to them. Oh, this is what the Bible means to me. Whoa! Uh-uh! <laughs> I don't care what you... You keep your subjective stuff out somewhere else because then all of a sudden, it's whatever's true to me. No! There is truth and then there's your opinion. Opinion is subjective. Truth is objective. This is fact. If you do it, you are. That's what he's saying is this is not an opinionated thing. This is the truth. You're either doing it or you're not. I love it. So you will know the truth and then guess what? Last part. And the truth will set you free. The set you free is a set of words and it means to be liberated. To be liberated. You were in bondage to something. You were in prison and you were set free. Someone came, opened the door, and let you out to set you free. So he's saying this, if you will hold on to the teachings of God's Word, you will then in result 
become his disciple. You really will be his disciple, and you'll know that truth because you're studying it, because you're holding on to it, and that truth sets you free. Man, I'm like, this is not complicated, right? I mean, this is not rocket science. What I love about God's Word is He doesn't make this impossible to understand. He's actually making it pretty simple. So he's talking to the set of believers about this. Guess who starts piping up? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And we have never, never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? So they, they missed what he's talking about. They don't even understand his teachings. And they went all the way back. Well, we're Abraham's descendants and we've been slaves to no one. Now, anybody who's ever studied Bible history, was there ever a point in time after Abraham where Israel was enslaved? Yes or no? Real loud. One, two, three. Yes. yes. They don't even know what they're talking about. We've never been slaves to anybody. Remember Egypt? <laughs> Come on. You know, hello, Egypt. Slaves for like 415 or 430 years. 430 years. Remember crying? They all cried out and God saved the day, you know. Passover lamb, everything. You don't, oh, not ringing a bell. Okay. So, but that was their problem. And see, here's the problem. When you have people who aren't, they don't care about the truth. Jesus is trying to teach a group of people who want the truth, how to, the, the truth will set them free. The other crowd doesn't care about the truth. They just keep twisting stuff and twisting stuff and twisting stuff. So then Jesus answers them. And guys, I, I put this green part on the top. It's verse 32. You're going to see that a lot because we've got to keep that at the center of everything. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus replied to them. And I love how Jesus replies. I tell you the truth. They still don't get it. It's about the truth. So he looks at him and goes, I'm telling you the truth. You know, like every time Jesus answers these yahoos, he's always like, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Because everything to Jesus is about what? The truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. Well, all right, we're getting somewhere today. So he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave. See, they were thinking about slavery as in, as in what happened in our, in our history and in the past. And he's talking about slave in the heart and in the mind. Your mind is enslaved to the lies. Your heart is enslaved to the lies. So he's not talking about whether you were, 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 were an African-American slave or whether you were a Jewish slave or whether you were a slave to the Egyptians. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. If you sin, you're a slave, sin, a slave to sin. So here's what's amazing. When you start looking at the world, everyone who sins, it's not talking about if you stub your toe and you say a bad word one time, right? It's not what he's talking about. This is present tense. In present tense, it means it's a habit. It's a continual thing. When we are living in a constant state of sin, he's saying you're a slave to that sin because it owns you now. Has any of you guys ever been a slave to sin? Let me give you, so a lot of times we, it's easy to kind of go after the ones that are the most noticeable, like right, sexual immorality, um, drunkenness, drugs, you know, those types of things. But what about anger? Huh? What about unforgiveness? Have you ever been a slave to unforgiveness because you, somebody hurt you, they hurt you so bad, you're like, I will never forgive. Has any of you ever said that? You're a slave to bitterness. It owns you. He says, when you, everyone who sins, you're, it owns you. You're a slave to it. Now listen to this. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. You see, everybody's like, oh man, all you, I, I hate when preachers say, all you got to do to be saved is believe. I'm like, well, no, it's, it's yeah, that's part. That's like, like a part of this process, but not the only part of the process. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many enter it. Narrow is the gate that leads to life and not many find it. They don't want it. It's too much for them. And so what he says is he says, but a, a, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free. You see, when Jesus sets you free today, you're free, period. 
So, truth number one was all who sin is a slave. Truth number two is you continue to sin. You want to continue living in sin. You can't be saved. You can't do both. You can't live like hell and go to heaven. Can't do it. Won't work. You got to give one of them up. You got to say, God, save me from my sin and get me out of this, this, this hell hole, if I can be honest with you, right? Come on. Isn't that how we feel when we live in sin? God, this is a hell hole. I want out of it. I, I'm tired of the addiction. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the anger. I'm tired of the bills. I'm tired of jealousy. God, I'm tired of all of that. Set me free. Isn't that what we want? So when we do that, he's saying, listen, you can't do both. You can't continue to live in the slavery to that sin and be a son of God. Can't do it both. And if Jesus sets you free, then you're free. It's it's a done deal. I'm always amazed at how people will come to me and they'll tell me, this is a disease. I was born this way. This is just who I am. People will tell me I was born. I, you know, with people who are struggle, struggling with transgender or, homo, or, or same sex. Let me just say same sex attraction. I was born this way. That's why the Bible says I need to be born again. I was born with this anger. I was born with this thing. And we use that as our crutch to continue to live a life in slavery that we don't want in the first place. So then we, we say, well, and then somebody else will say, well, it's a disease. Addiction is a disease. Bologna. It's a sin. Whether you say bologna or bologna, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I don't know. All right. Okay, so. And then Jesus continued on. He goes, I know you're Abraham's descendants. This is, this is so good. So he's, understand, he's not talking to the believers. He's talking to the hypocrites. He's talking to these people who are trying. He goes, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet... You are ready to kill me. Mm. Because you have no room for my word. That's why. You want to kill me because you have no room in your heart for the truth. You see the world that we live in? How everybody's so easily offended. You can't say, you can't speak truth without offending somebody. And now the political way is just don't say anything at all. Don't stand for truth. Don't help anybody. Don't, don't. So then all of a sudden, the moment you start speaking truth, now you're a bigot. Now you're this. Now you're that. And, and you have a whole, you get a whole array of this. Why? Because there's no room for truth. It's all about people's opinions. It's not about the truth anymore. See, here's the thing: is if there is a God, and there is, heaven is His. Earth is His. Everything is His. To get to heaven, it's all about doing His way. Not mine. Not what I would want. If I was God, I would do things differently. But I'm not. And it's a good thing I'm not. Because then I would be picking and choosing. And He just says, this is the truth. And it's the truth that sets you free. So you either have it or you don't. You want it or you don't. Really makes it really quite simple. He goes, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you do what you've heard from your father at this moment he's beginning to cause the distinction between those who believe in him and those who don't he's starting to use terminology of your father you're doing what your father wants and so he's about to tick them off really good (laughs) it's coming so then they replied to him abraham is our father abraham is our father they answered If you were Abraham's, so Jesus replies to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you what? The truth. Isn't it amazing how people will kill you with their words, with their attitudes and their behaviors just because you spoke truth? Come on. You speak truth, and they want to kill you for it. Maybe not physically in this world right now. It may not because they want to do it physically, but they want to kill you with their words, kill you with their eyes. You're like, man, if words could kill, right? If your looks could kill. He says, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth from what I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. So now he's saying, no, Abraham's not really your father. Somebody else is your father. Now there's an implication growing. 
And then they get mad. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only Father we have is God Himself. Jesus then replies in verse 42, Jesus said, if God were your Father, you would love Me. For I have come from God. I have not come from My own. God sent Me. And then I underlined this just for effect. (laughs) Why is My language not clear to you? You stubborn, mule-headed, brood of vipers. Right? I mean, that's... You know, when somebody's like, are the words not coming? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The words that are coming out of my mouth, you know, why are you not understanding? Why do you not understand what I'm trying to say to you? And he says this. I love it. He answers his own question. He doesn't give them any time because you are unable to hear what I say. They no longer have an ability, they have rejected truth for so long, now they're unable. Now, let me, let, me, let me show you. You know what? Many of us do that. Many of us sitting in this room have done that all of our lives. You are unable to hear the truth. Now listen, I'm going to show you. How many of you, deep down inside, you know that when the thought comes into your head, I'm not good enough, you already know that it's a lie and it's not from God. How many of you know that? Okay. Now let me ask you this. How many times has somebody told you that it's a lie and you didn't believe them anyway, and you already knew this, but you rejected it because and you held on to that lie. And you held on. How many of you have held on to a lie? You were unable to hear what you say. What happens is this, and I'm wanting you guys to understand, I'm going to reiterate this at the end, but this. When you begin to believe the lie, you have no room for truth. And if you hold on to the lie long enough, you have no use for truth, and you become just like the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees that Jesus was dealing with. They had no room for it. They were unable to hear. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil. They loved that. That was their favorite part. I mean, now he's like, you're a bunch of, you, you're, it'd be like me walking up and say, you know what? You're a son of the devil. Jeff, if I did that right, that wouldn't feel very good. I'm not going to say that because that would, I don't want to do that. I said that Cheyenne popped on. I was like, Cheyenne, you're, no. So here's the thing. He's calling them the sons of the devil. You belong to your father, the devil. Does this sound like a weak Jesus to you? (laughs) Now, here's the deal. We all know that if we live like hell, we don't get to go to heaven, right? And what he's trying to get them to understand is that when you begin to do the will the desires of the devil, then you belong to Him. When you do the desires of God, you belong to Him. Your life shows you who you belong to. So He's being honest with them. Trying to get through to them, you are not belonging to Abraham or Abraham's seed. You belong to the devil. Because this is what the devil would do. And he goes on. Well, let me say, unable to hear is able to understand they are deaf they, they refuse to hear Him. Have you ever gotten in an a intense fellowship with your spouse? Where you were not really listening to what they had to say because you were too busy trying to show them what you had to say? Any partakers in that, right? So you were exactly unable to hear because you really were just refusing to listen, weren't you? What He's saying is they're not even listening to me they are unable because they refuse. They're not willing. Now, moving on. So, the first part up there is what I've already said. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. Then it goes on to say this. He was a murderer from the beginning. So he's telling them, you want to kill me? The devil was a murderer too. You're wanting to do what he's all about. Not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. That's the devil. That's who he is. Now check this out. He was a murderer. The first part, it says he was a murderer from the beginning. Remember back in Genesis where God told Adam 
You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will, you will, you will certainly die. If you eat of that tree, in other words, you're going to bring death into this world, and it will kill you. The serpent then said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, to the lady, to the woman, you will not certainly die. He's lying, and his lie brought about what? Death. Because he's a murderer. So he's been a murderer, oh, from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Now check this out. There's no truth in him. There's no truth in him. Jesus then says this about himself. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, this is who the devil is. There's no truth in him. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John just three times within 14, 15, and 16, three chapters, Spirit of Truth. See, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you talk about the Father, you talk about Jesus, it's the Trinity. One God, three persons, right? So he's saying about himself is, I am a Spirit of Truth. I am the Truth. The devil is the lie. I am the Truth. You see, there's a complete opposite. The devil is a liar. God is one who speaks truth. And, and, and then John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And then I, I'm just, I just love this. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then verse 14, I forgot to put a comma there. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Isn't that remarkable? How Jesus is, the whole time how he describes himself as he is the word. He is the truth, Right? He is truth. He is truth. He is truth. The devil is a lie. He's the lie. So there's a great distinction. So then, when he lies, the devil, when he lies, he speaks the native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. John 8, 44, the last verse. So when the devil speaks, he's lying. That's his native tongue. Lies are meant to imprison you. Okay? It, the, the point of the lie is to get you to believe it and imprison you. Jesus speaks truth, right? And the truth, I, I wrote trust, I mistyped, typo. Of course, and earlier you already know that I can't add, so I can't spell either. <laughs> so, truth sets you free, no, and I mean, you could go with the trust, but anyways, that was a typo. Now listen to this, I want you to see... I want you to see the difference now because I'm, I'm, it's all coming down. We're all we're, we're wrapping this into this, okay? The devil will tell you that you're an accident, right? The devil will tell you that you're a mistake, that you're a piece of junk, that you're a piece of trash, right? He'll tell you that you're not good enough and you never will be, right? You've heard these lies. Jesus says in His Word, Psalm 139, verse 14, He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So when God makes something, He doesn't make mistakes because He's God. You're not a mistake. God doesn't make trash. Everything that He makes is good. Go back to Genesis 1 and see for yourself. Your works are wonderful. When the devil says you're not good... Hold on. The Bible that I'm reading, which is the truth, says that the works of God are wonderful. Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship. We are His work. You are a work of God. So when the devil comes in with his lies, you need to understand that truth defeats the lie. Then you will know the what? Truth. And the truth will set you... Alright? So, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. The devil says, man, you can't be forgiven. You have too much sin in your life. The Word says, uh-uh. See, if you think that you're so bad that, the, that God can't forgive you, then you underestimate the power of His blood. Then you automatically say that His, his work on the cross was not good enough. Is anybody here going to say that God's not good enough? No! So don't believe the lie! You will never belong. No one wants you. Ephesians 1, 5, you were predestined. You were chosen by God. Predestined for adoption. What I love about, um, I get to tell my, my kids, uh, we were blessed and honored to be able to adopt four wonderful children into our home. 
and I, I tell them, I say, you know what's really neat about adoption is that, you know, like with my biological children, you know, we were given them biologically, but we did not choose them. I mean, we wanted them before they were ever there. But when you deal with adoption, you actually have to choose. I choose you. I want you to be my child the rest of our life. And the rest of your life, I want to be your father. I want to be your mother. To me, I think that's a powerful thing. And this is the same way that God looks at you and goes, I chose you to be my son and daughter. Now, I'm not saying when I say son of God, I'm not talking about the son of God, okay? I'm not... Look at me, camera. I'm not equating with Jesus. I'm not the same as Jesus. But I am a child of God. I am a boy. So I'm a lowercase s son of God. Not the same as Jesus, okay? Because if I'm a child of God, that makes us princes and princesses. Every woman in this room, you're a princess to the king. Your daddy, your real dad, you know, earthly father, but your heavenly father is a king. Come on now! This room is filled with princes and princesses of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That got to mean something. So, the devil wants to try to defeat you to make you, you feel so bad about yourself that you can't go anywhere. It's a lie. The moment you start realizing who you are is when you are free. Now, check this out. Don't look, how many verses do I have listed here? Three, right? Three verses out of the Bible. Three truths that shatter the lies of the enemy. Now there's 31,102 verses in the Bible. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to be set free from all the lies, then you begin to read and hold to the teachings of Christ. There's 31,000 verses to hold on to. Come on, right? The more truth that we understand, the more lies are defeated and the more freedom you have. So you may have partial freedom in your life right now because maybe there's still some lies you're holding on to. I can't get recovery. That's a lie. I can't be healed. That's a lie. I can't be... Oh, that's a lie. So you submit yourselves then to God. James chapter 4, you resist the devil. That's what we're about to do. If you resist the devil, what's he going to do? Flee. 1 Peter 5, resist him, right? So if we're going to stop believing the lies, we've got to resist the devil, right? Ephesians 6.14 talks about the armor of God. The first piece of armor you put on is the belt of truth. Isn't that interesting? The first. Then you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Guess what? I won't know what righteousness is if I don't know the truth. Did you know that when they would put on their armor, the belt actually held the, the, the breastplate actually went underneath, just like you tuck in your shirt. So that when you're running, the breastplate's not doing this. It stays firm in there. And guess where the sword sheath goes? Right on your belt. Truth is a foundational piece that we have to have. So this is the last slide, but not the least. Once you believe the lies of the enemy... You have no place for the truth of the Savior. Once you believe the lie, truth is no more of use to you. 